Captain Kirk. Fascinating. Well, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I thought. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Borgs, chickens, and things to episode 87 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what the hell are those, Steve? That's the Muppets in Star Trek. We will be doing and have been doing and will continue to do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and now Star Trek The Animated Series. That's right. And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Liza Minnelli and Star Trek Animated Series episode The Infinite Vulcan. Good times. That's, so, that's right. You need to tell us, Steve, all about this wondrous woman, Liza Minnelli. Who is this Well, person? Liza Minnelli, she's the daughter of the late, great Judy Garland, better mm-hmm. known as Dorothy and Wizard of Oz. She's an American icon of stage and screen. She she is uh, an EGOT winner, so she has won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony in her career. She has starred in shows like Cabaret and Chicago and was on in the movie versions of Cabaret. Um, but what does our audience know her from? Well, aside from being an American icon, <laughs> uh, she was a reoccurring character, uh, Lucille Ostero on Arrested Development, one Not of my favorite shows. character, oh my God. Great character. And I will say recently, uh, the, the kind of yeah. thing is, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but a little thing it is, is recently since Arrested Development, people have not really heard from her in a while. And there's even like an article on Variety, like saying, where is Liza Minnelli? So they're kind of concerned for her safety, but she's given like letters that have been kind of nebulous saying I'm okay, but no one's really seen her in public in a while. So I'm hoping she's I hope all right. she's just somewhere rolling in a pool of her money. I hope so. Like, too. That's what I hope. She deserves it. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, what, what's she it. up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, Kermit introduces Liza and tells the audience that they're in for a crazy show because they are doing a noir-style murder mystery with Kermit as the top dick solving the crime. Liza comes in as the damsel in need into his office. She found a note warning that they needed to close the show or everyone was going to die. Kermit's on the case. Uh, They go to the Majestic Theater. Kermit's asking some questions. He becomes suspicious of Liza's understudy, who's being played by Miss Piggy. Uh, Liza performs Copacabana. It starts sad and then explodes with Liza in like a crazy scandalous dress and then devolves into violence and then suddenly a disco number. It's great. <laughs> uh, backstage, Fritz, the director, gets shot as Kermit starts asking him some questions and starts getting close to an answer. Gonzo uh, perks them up with the song Great Day saying that that Fritz would want the show to go on. And it's a lively number with everybody dressed as angels flooding the stage. It's kind of crazy and out of nowhere. <laughs> Luckily, Patrolman Bear, played by Fozzie, is assigned to the case. And Scooter reveals that everyone hated the director. Scooter is then killed before he can reveal who the murderer is. Liza saw the hand that threw the knife, though. And Kermit goes to investigate. Uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem rehearse their next number past the peace pipe. Dogs come out and make a series of musical, racially insensitive jokes surrounding Native Americans. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> uh, Liza finds Kermit on the dressing room floor, having been knocked out. She nurses him, and Kermit begins to doubt that he's ever going to solve this case. And Liza heartens him with the song, A Quiet Thing. It's soft and sweet and nice. Down in the canteen, Bear on Patrol is still on the case, but he isn't getting anywhere. Everyone that's eating the food of the canteen is poisoned, including the Swedish chef. <laughs> 
Kermit gathers the remaining cast and crew on stage. Liza is about to reveal the murderer when the lights go out and she is stabbed and dies illustriously. Statler and Waldorf rush on stage. No, they didn't mean to kill Liza, just everyone else. They love Liza. <laughs> Bear on Patrol takes them away. Liza stages a final number of Everything's Coming Up Roses. Scenery is flown in, and Liza's joined by a cavalcade of Muppets holding roses. Kermit thanks Liza one last time. Liza wants to keep her trick knife, and that is what we call The Muppet Show. So, Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode of The Muppet Show? With Liza Minnelli. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. And oh, yeah. I know it was missing a lot of our standby elements and sketches, but it felt almost like a mini Muppet movie in its own way, like with its own story within a story. Um, like totally self contained. You could watch this with not watching any other Muppet Show episode. Um, I also think Liza did a terrific job. I was even commenting throughout, uh, because Joe Lee was watching it with me that like she is so committed to this, taking it completely seriously. More than I think any guest I can remember. And she never, never once kind of like is half assing it or like jokingly talking to the Muppets. No, she's they're real people to her. She's looking at them like they're real actors that she is engaging with. And then, of course, her performances were, you know, over the top and fantastic and Broadway and um, the mystery plot was engaging and funny. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What did you think? <laughs> so, so the, your, your opinion is very widely shared. I'll throw out some factoids here. Mm. Uh, this episode, uh, the director was nominated for an Emmy award for outstanding direction. Oh, wow. Did not win, but nominated. And John Hawkins won, uh, for outstanding video, outstanding video editing, mm. won the Emmy for this episode. And, the Murder Mystery Writers of America awarded this episode the Raven Award for Outstanding Achievement in Mystery. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, like, a lot of people agree. Now, what I will say is while this was a very good episode, it's not indicative of what The Muppet Show is. True. So, if anything, mentally, you're right. I have it kind of in its own category, like a little movie, like, but... It's hard for me to see this as a Muppet Show episode. Like, yeah, I guess it would be hard in the end for us to give this like the first top spot of season three or is it season four we're in now? I can't remember. We're in season four. So, we're over halfway through season four. Yeah, because like uh, it's you're right. It's, it's like its own little thing, but I easily give it like number two because I feel bad giving it number one because it's so different from anything else. Yeah, but I can tell you right now, this is like right at this moment, this is probably top three in season four. Oh, me too. Absolutely. I mean, especially what really sells it is just Liza Minnelli was playing it like Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. Like, you take this totally seriously. And but there's obviously silly parts where she winks at the camera, but it's written in and she takes it, you know, does it accent very well. And, and isn't just there's so many guests that kind of like, oh, it's I'm with Muppets right now. This is funny. Even if we like them. She was like acting with other actors. I thought that was so cool. So, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. And she even comes back from Muppets Take Manhattan playing herself. Oh, I forgot about that. And also like takes herself very seriously. And if anything, I, I don't I don't know if I've ever actually seen this episode or maybe once long ago. So I'm like thinking about her cameo in Muppets Take Manhattan now. And it's even better. <laughs> nice. Well, to knowing how too. much she poked fun of herself in this film, mm -hmm. in the show. <laughs> and she sings an Ethel Merman song. Ethel Merman standby. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really funny to hear, because I feel like Broadway now has very much, not say flatlined, but kind of come into line. All Broadway singers now have kind of the same sound. Yeah. Broadway female singers have that same, like, yeah, it's going to be great 
Same thing with guys. It's all coming to this like middle range where everyone's kind of saying the sound the same. But this, she's from an era on Broadway where you could have a crazy distinct voice. Nice and weird. Yeah. And be an alto and have a career. Well, same thing with basses. You could be a bass and have a full career as leading men. Right. But there aren't any Look leading men. Look at Robert Goulet. Yeah, exactly. Jerry Orbach, you know, there aren't any leading man basses um, anymore. So it's just funny to see, yeah, once again, just someone from a different era before Broadway had standardized, so to speak. Yeah, it's true. And you, it's hard to, it's, everyone kind of sounds the same, looks the same, but she's very different. She's unique all to her own. <laughs> Let's talk about music this week in this episode that was so distinct. Copacabana, it's a song made famous by Barry Manilow. Manilow was actually a regular at the Copacabana nightclub in New York City. The song ends with Lola drinking in the club, which is now transformed into a discotheque. And that's actually what happened to the Copacabana in New York City. <laughs> yeah. It turned into a discotheque. Uh, Great Day. It's from the musical by the same name uh, from the late 20s. The show only ran on Broadway for 29 performances, but this and two other songs were major successes for like the next few years, hmm. though the show really kind of flatlined. A Quiet Thing. This is from 1965 musical Flora, the Red Menace. Uh, that's the musical that put Liza Minnelli on the map and was her Broadway deb debut. Ah, okay. Uh, Everything's Coming Up Roses from the musical Gypsy. This was also performed by Methel, uh, uh, Ethel Merman blech, <laughs> on her episode of The Muppet Show. I like Methel Berman better. <laughs> Methel Berman. That's my new Star Wars character name. <laughs> I'm a Rodian named Methyl Berman. <laughs> <laughs> Methyl Berman told you told me you would come. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, so German, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment of this episode? Um, it was a hard pick for me because there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, if I was going totally technically, I'd say Great Day was pretty impressive, where they all kind of ascend and they're on this scaffolding, and there's a bunch of Muppets all at once, and they had to not show underneath them, so a lot of like um different ways of camera tricks to do that, but it was, it was pretty impressive, even though it wasn't my favorite song of the episode. Uh, I'm going to give it to, so when Kermit goes into the dressing room after the knife has been thrown, he's wandering in the dark and he like trips and falls and lets out a squeal. <laughs> and it was so sudden. And the mood was so good of him in the dark. Like they, they set the mood of this whole episode and it was so eruptive that it caught me off guard that I laughed out loud. <laughs> which does not happen all the time in the Muppet show. True. And it was enough that I rewound it and rewatched the moment like two times. I laughed out loud a moment before that, like where he said, uh, and they always play that music when they, when it gets dark. <laughs> so it always creeps me out. I'm like, yeah, that's hilarious. It was a really funny um, episode. Th but they set the mood so well that, and, uh, that the players, you know, you, you're absolutely hit it right. The episode was serious noir. And then you get, Manelli playing it serious and playing it hard and then all the Muppets just being Muppets in yeah. this thing. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so good times. Um, but good episode if it even was an episode. Own little mini movie basically. Yeah. So German, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek the animated series? So this week we have the Infinite Vulcan. The Enterprise goes to explore a newly discovered planet called Phylos to see if it's eligible for Federation colonization. But while there, Sulu finds this walking plant that's adorable, so he picks it up, and he's stung and poisoned by it. And he's... I think it likes me, Captain. <laughs> and it was cute. But if he falls down immediately and Bones says he's going to die within a minute if they can't find a way to save him because all of his antidotes aren't working. 
And just then, these alien beings that look like they evolved from plants appear, and they are immediately able to save him with an antidote. And their leader, Agmar, tells the away team that their civilization was nearly wiped out by a disease brought to the planet by a Dr. Stavos Kenicilius. Kenicilius? Something like that. Who, as it turns out, was a doctor who survived the eugenics wars back on Earth in the 1990s, back with Khan and all that jazz. But they'll find that out later. The away team is then told that they, uh, these plant people are a peaceful species, and they take the away team down to their headquarters, where they're then ambushed by these flying plant creatures. And Spock is stolen away by one of them. And just then, a giant Dr. Kinesilius appears and says, you must return to your ship, and Spock belongs to me now. Uh, and for some reason, he's not wearing a shirt. So <laughs> Kinesilius has apparently survived for centuries by cloning himself over and over and passing down his consciousness to each new clone through his magical machine that he's made. And since he's been out of the loop for a long time, he thinks the galaxy is still a war-ravaged place that needs saving like it was during his original time, and he plans to enforce peace on the galaxy by making an army of giant Spock clones, that's why he took Spock away, that will go across the galaxy in the Philosian ships. And he's already put Spock's consciousness into a giant Spock clone, just as big as him, 29 feet apparently, and Spock has been left lifeless in a dying and dying as a consequence. His consciousness is gone. Spock's brain's missing again. Apparently, the only reason the plant people sided with Kinesilius is because they had a similar goal back when he arrived on their planet to make the, the galaxy peaceful. But he accidentally killed the majority of them with his disease. So he had to help them. Uh, so the giant Spock clone is only slowly gaining the consciousness of prime Spock. So it doesn't quite know what to do yet. It's kind of staying there confused. And Kirk tries to convince the doctor and the plant people that the galaxy is now peaceful because of the Federation. And this is now unnecessary, but the doctor doesn't believe him. Meanwhile, Prime Spock is dying, but finally they're able to reason with Spock too, as he slowly gains his consciousness. And he does a mind meld with Spock Prime to copy over his consciousness back over to Spock Prime. And now both Spocks and Kirk are then able to convince the doctor that the galaxy is fine. And Spock, too, will stay behind to help the Doctor rebuild the Philosian plant people civilization instead. And that we have our episode of The Infinite Vulcan. So, Steve, what do you think of this episode? Um, so some things I liked. Uh, I liked. I love the little walking plant. I know it ended up almost killing Sulu, but <laughs> I just cute. thought it was cute. Um, I love, and this is more not necessarily this episode, but I love all of the unconventional aliens that we're getting to yes. see that we would never be able to see on the original series. Mm -hmm. Would not be possible. Uh, I like the original. I don't know if we've seen like a botanical origin species before this point. So I thought that was really point, cool. No. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, uh, maybe that's a negative. So I may have put that in the wrong spot. Uh, I liked that the twist sort of that the unassuming aliens were working for someone else, the master that like, ah, oh, they're the good guys. No, they're actually evil. Oh, they're the good guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're like children. They don't know any better. They're trying. Um, and then I like the reveal of the uh, mass migration invasion angle. <laughs> it forced peace. That's what they called it. I think something like that. Yeah. And I loved the cost saving of Spock too. <laughs> Same outfit, everything. <laughs> everything. The animation cells exactly the same. Hell, they probably just grabbed animation cells from closer shots mm -hmm. and just overlaid them. Exactly. So I thought that was clever. Like, there's a lot of clever cost saving in this show. 
that doesn't like hurt the show. <laughs> Unlike original series where in the last season there was a lot of cost savings where it was like, this hurts the show. <laughs> Things that I had some trouble with. I could not tell what they wanted us to feel about the bad guy whose name I don't have down, unfortunately. Dr. Something. <laughs> yeah. Crazy name. Um, because even then they introduced him. They're like a human came and brought sickness and death, but then he helped us. I was like, oh, okay. So you're like supposed to kind of think, oh, this is a good guy. And then they go and meet him and he's clearly like a psychopath basically, <laughs> or highly misguided at the very least. At least yes. Um, so I just felt really up and down and it made it hard to trust anything, yeah. I guess. Um, I, the thing he has about a minute to live, like how the hell would McCoy know that <laughs> the machines are that precise? Yeah, it only has a minute to live, Jim. <laughs> uh, the fuck are those dragon things? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they're like, there's some sort of plant life. And I went, really? Because they look like look like meth pterodactyls. That's what they <laughs> look like. Tentacles. <laughs> um, there was, so this is weird animation. There was weird animation with a communicator multiple times in this episode. Really? Anytime they were handing that communication device off, at one point Kirk like throws the communicator to... To, oh, that was uh, weird. Spock, but it looks like it looks like he moves it with the force almost. Like it glides <laughs> gently from his hand into Spock's. Hand. He like puts his arm up, and then the thing leaves his hand gracefully, slowly up to up to Spock. It was weird. It yeah. was weird, and there was a handoff earlier in the episode too, where the the communicator like disappeared. Like they didn't animate it back <laughs> in where it should have been. Um, and then something I liked, I, I forgot this. I made the note right at the end was the idea of him breaking through this Spock's logic even as a clone and the idea of IDIC, infinite differences, infinite combinations. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Infinite diversity, infinite combinations. I, lo- I, lo- I really liked that. I hadn't heard that before. Oh, yeah. That's like their big uh, um, edict, basically, that all Vulcans follow is there's beauty in the infinite diversity. And it's actually the first tattoo I think I want to get. And Vulcan is written in infinite diversity and infinite combinations down my spine. It's been my first tattoo. Wow. So your first tattoo ever, and you're going straight to a spine tattoo? (laughs) Yeah. So I can also hide it if I want to, because I don't take my shirt off very often. (laughs) Man, that's uh, that's crazy, yo. yo, I'm just saying right now, that is some nutty shit. (laughs) Well, that's actually part of one of the things. Oh, sorry. Do you have more than that? Nah, that's that's it. Because one of the things I had a problem with what you just brought up was that it's great that he's able to uh, reason and logic with the Spock too, but at the same time, that's a huge plot hole because wouldn't this doctor realize that this is going to have the same exact consciousness of Spock? So it's not going to go along with whatever the fuck you're doing. <laughs> like it is, once it gains its full memory, it's like because it slowly had to become, get the brain working. It's like that just didn't make sense to me at all. <laughs> but, um. I don't know. I thought there's a fun premise, though. I love the plant species, like you said. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, I don't think they need to have a human guy at the center of it. Just have the cool plant species that had a plan and betrayed them, and then they get to work together at the end. They didn't need to have that guy at all, I didn't think. He was kind of unnecessary. Nah. And if anything, this felt – this in some ways felt the most like the original series episode of all the ones we watched so far because in the original series, that would have been a computer. Mm. It would have been the exact same plot. But it would have been a computer they were serving. 
or even just not having the plans that it'd be like a god who used to come to Earth and now is here and now he will right. bring peace to the galaxy. Um, exactly. But uh, it was cool. You saw the beginning. If you noticed it in the credits, it came up that Walter Koenig wrote this episode. Uh, oh, good for him. Good I didn't notice off. that. And I'll mention more of that in the trivia, which I have now. Uh, well, but I will say that I think that's like a middle episode for me, maybe a little upper middle because it was kind of cool with the plant people and the interesting story and the away with the planet they were on. I don't know. What do you think? Kind of around there. Wait, say that again. An upper middle episode for me, I think. Yeah. Not not towards the top at all, but just kind of like it wasn't bad. It was actually kind of interesting. and different. Yeah, like this is certainly better than like the weird Spock time travel one. Like that, could, you're right. There are some episodes I can think of off the top of my head that this is better. It was than. a little more unique in some ways, but not unique in others. So it didn't make the top or anything. Um, but anyways, uh, the idea of the Philogians, the plant people, was forced upon Walter Koenig, who we know is Chekhov, by Gene Roddenberry. Because like Steve had mentioned earlier, it's cool that we have all these non-humanoid alien races because of the animation but apparently that's because gene roddenberry was really pushing that he was like we have a lot of opportunity here to have some non-humanoid creatures so when walter koenig turned into script to the producers they all liked it um but then once it got to gene roddenberry he's like but yeah but what if we put in some plant people <laughs> so um so basically he wanted to talk a race of talking plants uh, in the animated series because it was not possible to do in star trek originally and koenig had to do uh, 10 to 12 drafts of rewrites of the script before it was accepted by Gene Roddenberry. So his initial wow. script was accepted by everyone else, the producers, everything, but Roddenberry's like, nope, do it again, do it again, do it again with these changes. So according to Koenig, he was offered the chance to write additional scripts for the series. However, he turned it down because of Roddenberry's excessive and controlling demands for rewrites. And as a result, this is the only episode involving him. And Apparently, according to biographers of Gene Roddenberry, the whole reason he was pulled in is because they knew he had some writing capability and Gene Roddenberry legitimately felt bad that he wasn't part of this show because they had to, they had to cut check off because they had to cut some people from the show. And so he wanted to give him a chance. And then once he gave him the chance, he's like, no, I'm going to rewrite your script 12 times. So that kind of sucks. <laughs> but, <laughs> inspired uh, by Koenig. Yeah, it's a little inspired. Uh, this features the one and only time in all of the Star Trek series and films that Captain Kirk says anything close to beam me up, Scotty. And it has been long thought of as one of those made up phrases connected to the franchise. Um, usually in the original series, they'd say Scotty three to beam up Enter Enterprise beam us up. But in this episode, he says beam us up, Scotty. So he doesn't even say beam me up, Scotty. He says beam us up, Scotty. And that's the closest hmm. we ever get to that phrase in any of these series, which is fascinating. Well, we we almost touched it. Almost. And that little cute plant that attacked Sulu was called a Retlaw, uh, and it was named after Walter Koenig because it's Walter backwards. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, terrible. it's great. And also, Walter Koenig auditioned. They said he, he could audition for the role of Doctor Canisillus. Uh, but they didn't give it to him, <laughs> so he didn't get to play the role of Dr. Man, Kinesel. they just bone that guy over and over again. <laughs> Pretty much. And the coolest thing I added this one myself, because they didn't mention it in the trivia uh, or on IMDb, is that in the show Lower Decks, the animated show that's now on Paramount+, Plus, which is like made by the same people who did um, Rick and Morty, there's so many references to old Trek in that show. And they go to this this collector of antiquities and oddities in one of the episodes, and on the ceiling, he has stuck to the ceiling is the giant skeleton of Spock 2 on his ceiling. 
Oh my gosh. And it's a direct reference to this episode. It's, it still has a ripped up part of his uniform on and it's just huge and it's on the ceiling. And I was like, what a weird reference to have in this show. So oh my yeah. Gosh, Spock too. Yeah. You you see he survives for a while at least, and then he dies and is stored in some Oddies collection. So there you go. So Dark. Steve, what are some of our Trek Muppet connections this week? Well, in 1987, there was a television special saying happy 100th birthday, Hollywood. Tons and tons of stars at the time came out to salute Hollywood. And in this uh, were both William Shatner and Liza Minnelli. Hey, hey. Uh, some other sort of peripheral connections also on this special were Lucille Ball, who saved Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Carol Burnett, who was a guest and friend of the Muppets. James Coburn who played the proprietor of the El Slizo Cafe in the Muppet movie, <laughs> and Dabney Coleman, who played the scam artist Broadway producer in the Muppet Take Manhattan. Well, Also, go. Whoopi Goldberg, who played Guinan in The Next Generation and played God in It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas movie. Whoa. Whoopi Goldberg is the connection. The solid She's connection. the one that's that's done both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then Liza starred in 1972's uh, film version of Cabaret, uh, she started alongside Joel Gray, who was the guest star for season one and uh, for the first aired episode of and the Muppet Show. I believe Joel Gray. Joel Gray was on a Star Trek episode. Was he? Hold on. I'm looking something up right now. He might have a bigger connection than you think. Uh, Gray, Star Trek. I think you're right now. I'm thinking about it because I think I've used him before. Yes. Joel Gray was on Star Trek as a Bajoran in Star Trek Voyager season episode Resistance. Nice. So there you go. So many connections. And I met him once at a party in New York. Really? Just hanging out? Uh, Well, um, I I think I've probably told this before at some point, but uh, my sister-in-law, Sarah, used to work for a woman named Agnes Gund, who's like, you look her up. She's got a Wikipedia page. She's uh, really old money. Really Mm -hmm. old money, Agnes Gund. Uh, And she had the engagement party. For my my brother and my sister in law at her place, her very nice full floor apartment in Manhattan. Well, uh, and her celebrity best friend that she totes out for parties is Joel Gray. <laughs> totes them out for parties. <laughs> yeah, like I I went to two parties at her place in like the three years that we were there, uh, and he was just at both of them eating free food. And he is <laughs> tiny. Joel Gray is so small. Oh yeah, and you know his daughter is Jennifer Gray, who stars in Dirty That's Dancing. Right. And then ruined her face and her career. Oh, and she's married to the guy who plays uh, Agent Coulson in the MCU. Really? That guy? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good for him, I guess. Look at all these connections. <laughs> and MCU is now owned by Disney, who also owns the Muppets. We brought it all the way Whoa. around. All the way around, guys. Crazy. <laughs> oh, there's so many similarities we just brought up because there's a lot of similarities between these two episodes as well. Same episode. Both of them feature people being poisoned. Sulu by the plant and the diners patrons of the uh, of the diner, the Muppet show cafe uh, in the murder mystery. Oh, on a similar note, someone is thought to be dead or at least no hope of living in both episodes. Uh, Scooter and Liza at one point in the Muppets episode and Spock and Sulu in the Trek episode. Oh, I, I see it. I can see it. Yeah. Both feature random, unexplained white guys ending up being the villain. <laughs> Statler and Waldorf as the murderers and Caniculus Five. Oh, that's wonderful. And both have a situation where someone has someone close to them die, but they can't let go and just want to live on in the glory days that don't exist anymore. 
walk with me here. <laughs> the remaining plant people want to carry on mm-hmm. the legacy of their dead relatives, even though their mission is obsolete now. And the woman character in Copacabana wants to live out her glory days, even after Tony is long gone and the world has moved on to disco. <laughs> I can see it. It's 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 a long walk. I got there. <laughs> I can see it in my heart. <laughs> oh God! What's that? Transporter <gasps> malfunction. Transporter malfunction. Okay, it's the part of the show where we transport one character from one of the episodes to the other, and vice versa. What you got for us, Steve? All right, this week, Mubbs and Trek. I'm going to take over just the entire noir theme <laughs> and turn infinite Vulcan into like a cutting story about a private Dick solving a mystery about a new planet. Oh, I love that. And it's really funny. It works really well. Uh, even listening to the captain's log, the captain's log is like very guy noir. Very. That's true. We can adapt. To that we were down easily. on the planet when Spock was taken. Like, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, it's just the same shit. All right. People were made out of plants, meaning they were green, green with envy. That is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to like next generation uh, because Picard goes into a lot of holodeck scenarios as like a gumshoe. So you'll see that later on. Okay. Um, up as a Trek, uh, I have Liza Minnelli to take over Stavos Caniculus's place. I want her to act out the doctor's lines. Be like, I will bring peace to the galaxy. See, we'll <laughs> just be like ridiculous. And then someone stabs her with a fake knife. Exactly. Uh, Trekked him up. It's I want to bring over the plant people and replace the big full body dancers in Copacabana. Because if you look at them, they would probably translate pretty good to Henson Muppets. I could like, see, I that could pretty see well. two guys in big costumes dressed like friggin' plant people. That would work perfectly. <laughs> I tracked them up. It's I have the exact reverse. I want a true swap this time. Uh, Dr. Stavos Canisulus replacing Liza Minnelli. Just a 20 foot, 29 foot giant foot man singing show tunes and showing off his legs and smiling. <laughs> All you see is from his like knees down in every frame with the Muppets. <laughs> It's like inviting the mountains to the award ceremony. You don't want to do that. That's right. Man, <laughs> so, good callback. That's right. That brings us to the end of episode 87 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Anne Murray. An animated series episode, The Magics of Megas 2. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>